Well, good morning again, everybody. I hope that you had a good week. Hopefully it was shorter with the holiday. I know not everybody gets that day off, but hopefully you were able to relax a little bit this past week, uh, find some rest in the shortened work week. Um, you know, when, you, when I come up here and I introduce the messages and things like that, when I go through my intro, a lot of times I ask different questions, and I'm getting us in this mindset to reflect back. You know, and as you reflect back on a week like this, um, it might have been busy, it might have been full of a lot of different things. Uh, what are some of the points that you do reflect on? You know, do you reflect on those high things, those good things? Do you reflect on things that you would change if you could do things a little bit differently? Um, you know, when we examine, when we reflect, as we've been talking about in our messages, how do we go about doing that? You know, for us, uh, this week, it was kind of an emotional week. Uh, it was an anniversary yesterday of four years already. Uh, it's quick time as it goes by. But it allows you to reflect in a lot of different ways. Um, you reflect on different things that are going on in your life, where the Lord's meeting you, how he is filling and uh, just making you more complete and more whole. And, and throughout all of the busyness, throughout all of the emotions this week, I was able to actually reflect on the last couple of messages, which is kind of interesting because as a pastor, you do a lot of the reflection before you give the message when you're studying through the, the word and you're reflecting on those things in your life. And then you as the person that's hearing this, hopefully, you know, you're reflecting on that uh, on what you're learning and as you're being encouraged and built up in the word to reflect on that in the following weeks. But, you know, as, as you sit and you reflect in those different points that have been made, um, that Paul is writing to the Colossians, you're able to sit and, and, and reflect and examine that question that we had last week. What is it that you have received? And, and as I reflected on that this week, the Lord showed me some really strong things um, that were upbuilding. They gave me hope in a lot of those areas of my life where maybe there's some weakness, where maybe there's some feelings of voidness going on. And my hope as a pastor, again, is that we spend time during the week reflecting on the messages, reflecting on the word of God, reflecting on how God is impacting our lives and where he is leading us to be so that as we're going through life, we can meet him and be encouraged, you know, because we're here for just a couple hours on a Sunday. And I'm hoping that the encouragement of coming together gets us through the week and that we're finding those times during the week to get together with one another and to encourage and continue to build up one another as well. You know, last week was a fun message for me. It was one where we just covered two verses and you can go a lot deeper uh, with words, with phrases, with, with the Greek language, with Latin, all of that kind of stuff. It's enjoyable for me to do something like that. This week, we're going to build off of that a little bit and go into the next section um, to where we're going to talk about what makes you complete, what makes you whole as we look at the truth of how that is done in Christ, understanding that it, how God makes us whole through him. And Paul is going to explain what this means for the believer and how it is something that we need to be paying attention to because there are a lot of things that we need to watch out for as believers. You know, when we come into this new relationship with Christ, 
we are being made into his image. We are coming, he is divinely intervening and restoring that position in creation, restoring that position in him where we're sealed by the spirit. So when we understand that, it helps us in our day to day because we are bombarded with so many things from the outside. So many false teachings, so many shiny things that are out there, so many distractions that will come in. You know, we're gonna hear this noise in life that will pull us away from the gospel message. But we have to be ready for those temptations every day. So in our section today, he's gonna give a warning for us in that opening verse. And then he's gonna focus that rest of this section on Christ and how in him we find wholeness. In him we find completeness. You know, Jesus, um, he's gonna talk about what Christ has done for us, to us, in us, by us, through us. You fill in that preposition. You know, he is our all in all and we need to be looking to him for that completion. So today we're gonna be in Colossians 2, if you have your Bibles open, and I'm gonna read from verses eight through 15. Uh, I ask you to stand as you're able as we read God's word today. Beginning in verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths, that we can find hope within your words, and that you would meet us where we're at today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Right, so kind of picking up where we left off last week with our grammar studies. He starts off verse eight with a present imperative. Love grammar in the morning, don't you? So a present imperative is one of those constant commands. It's a continuous command where they are to always be on guard to see to it that no one takes you captive. They are to be on guard. They have to be ready. You know, taken captive is, is literally to be carried off. So in a way, Paul is describing these false teachers as human traffickers. Now they might not have a white van spray painted salvation or something shiny inside, but in the same sense, they are carrying people away from the truth of the gospel. They are taking them hostage, so to speak. Um, and as he is saying this, he's saying that they could be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now these two terms are combined in the Greek. Um, And what that means is 
it's a this particular philosophy that Paul is talking about, he is calling that empty deceit or vain deceit as it might be in some of your translations. So it's not two separate dangers, but one. And specifically here for the Colossians, it's according to the human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world. Now to understand philosophy a little bit, a lot of times we might think back to the Greek philosophers of Plato, Aristotle, and, and all of those types of people. You know, when we understand philosophy, it is an investigation or into the nature or the truth of things. Oftentimes, there's a lot of speculation involved, and you're going into diverse subjects, where it's, you know, it's a human understanding or wisdom that sp spans over a variety of, of fields or disciplines of study. You know, you think about, back to those Greek philosophers, and they studied questions such as who is man, who is God, what are the origins of things, what is the purpose uh, of human life, you know, and in today's type of, of study, you have things like a PhD, which is a doctor of philosophy, you know, in, in education where you are studying in a specific field or a specific purpose where you're trying to integrate all of the existing knowledge and put in the human experience to that. So it's within that type of realm of understanding where we have this simple idea of philosophy, trying to investigate truth. And what's happening here is you have all of these human traditions that are coming in, trying, and they're deceiving, and they're trying to capture the Colossians. Um, along with these human traditions, you have elemental principles. Uh, now, People believe this to be angels or demons. Um, again, maybe some of that mysticism from the East is coming in to influence the religions. But it's kind of a, a narrow view when you look at that. You know, generally when we're looking in the Bible for answers, we can look in the context. And if you look down into verse 18, verses 20 through 22, in those sections that we'll talk about next week, it talks about rules, food, special days, rituals, angels, and things like that. And when we look at those things, and we see how it's a lot of human traditions, we see in this particular instance, I think Paul is talking more against the Judaizers um, in terms of his level of attack. Those uh, Jewish Christians who are telling the Gentiles that they first need to become Jews, and then they can become Christians. And Paul's kind of combating against their thoughts, as we can, we can see a lot of these things, especially with the rituals and the foods, as he talks about in our passage today with circumcision. You know, it's a very Jewish understanding that he is going to be combating. So as he is combating this, he's acknowledging that there's false teachers that they have to be on guard against, and that the, through all of that, they need to hold on to Christ. Now, the Judaizers would most likely be coming from Jerusalem, you think about the time period of what's going on here. So Rome is coming in and they're destroying Jerusalem and all of the people are then scattering, kind of fulfilling the Great Commission when God says go into all the nations, make disciples. It's kind of a forced push, like let's go, get going. You know, so they're fleeing into the region and they're, they're landing in some of these other churches to where they're then bringing their influence into it. So it'd be similar to what, when, what maybe we see today, where people are leaving states like California or New York, and they're going to other states. Or if, you know, something happens in Omaha, where people had to flee, and they're coming out to our regions. You know, the people don't just come. They bring their beliefs. They bring their ideas. They bring um, what they think is right. 
and they're going into these established places and changing how things are run. Now that's not to say that all change is bad. Sometimes change is good because we have blind spots, we have uh, errors in our own thinking or, or ways of doing things and fresh eyes can help us see some of those things. But what Paul is stressing here, what these people are doing is they're changing around the gospel message. They're forcing people to get circumcised. They're telling people that they need to first become Jewish. They're telling people that Jesus isn't, wasn't really fully man or fully God. So they're bringing all of these other things in and it's labeled as false teaching because they're saying there's a different way to salvation. And they're taking people captive with these empty philosophies, these, these vain deceits. Now, we could probably spend some more time in verse eight and, and speculate a little bit more on what's going on, but seeing as how Paul only gives this warning one verse and then spends the rest of the time focusing on Christ, I think that's where our focus needs to be as well. You know, what Paul is majoring in, we need to be majors of as well. So when you look at verse nine, you see the word for. This is a purpose word. It's giving a reason as why they should abandon false teaching to not be subject to the empty or the vain deceits. And that is because these things are not according to Christ. For it is in him that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul is stressing throughout this entire book that Christ is more sufficient than anything that they need. He is all that they need. That they don't need to be looking to all of these other philosophies. They don't need to be looking to all of these shiny things that might be around them that they might idolize. Christ is the very essence of deity. Notice how it says in him in this section. Um, in this instance, it's speaking more to the life of Christ. Later when he says in him, it's speaking about our life in Christ. Um, so it's, it's very unique in terms of how it is in him you find the fullness of deity. And again, he would be speaking against the docetists and the Gnostics who would be saying that Jesus didn't have a physical body. He only appeared to have a human body. But Paul again is hammering that, that he, has, uh, that he is the fullness of God in human flesh. And then there's also something new within this, um, a new belief that was attacking. It's called the Serinthian belief. And this is a belief that said it separated the, between the man of Jesus and the power that was emanating from him that was God. So instead of being God and man at the same time, there was Jesus as a human and then Jesus as a God. And Paul is speaking very plainly about the deity and the humanity of Jesus in bodily form. You know, Jesus does not surrender his deity at the incarnation. He does not surrender his humanity at the resurrection. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then, you have been filled in him. This is how verse 10 starts. You have been made full. You have been made complete in him. This is such a hopeful verse in how that is expressing the fullness of God dwells in Jesus and you are filled with him. When I think of being full, naturally, my mind goes to food. I love to cook meat on the grill. So my bad analogy for today is going to that. To those times when you are just full of steak and brisket and prime rib. Not full to the point of being sick, but full being satisfied. To where you don't need vegetables, you don't need desserts, 
You just need that meat. Now that might be from a guy's perspective. I get that. I said it's a bad analogy. But the meat is delicious. It's filling. You know, and again, I'm not saying that desserts are bad. But what Paul is pointing out is that Christ is all that you need. He fills you. Anything else that might be dripping with honey, anything else that might seem sweet to the tooth is probably not going to be good for you. It's there to entice you. And you know, with all analogies, you can change it around if you're a vegetable lover or something like that. Just change that around. But the point is, he makes you whole. He makes you complete. Because he is the head of all rule and authority. And again, we go back to the Great Commission where he tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that fulfills a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You know, we think of other passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 27, Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. All places that speak about his rule, his lordship, his sovereignty, his dominion over the earth to where he is more than enough as our master and Lord. The rest of this section in this passage then de- describes the sufficiency of Christ for the, for the Colossians. And he does so in three ways. He tells them that they have been um, spiritually circumcised in verses 11 and 12, that he has forgiven our sins in verses 13 and 14, and that he has given us victory over the forces of evil in verse 15. All of these things that God has done for us through Christ to be more than sufficient. So let's look first at circumcision. Now I had a million jokes dealing with circumcision, but none of them really made the cut. Um, Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it, That's Dan loved that one. I got a groan out of him, that's good. But circumcision, of course, it's championed by the Judaizers because they wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be able to come to Christ. Um, Circumcision is the mark of God's people, or it is a cutting away of the foreskin, it's cutting away of the flesh. And Paul continues to teach the understanding of spiritual circumcision, that they needed... uh, that they all needed to understand that yes, there was a cutting away of the flesh, but it is the old self that is cut away where the body of the flesh is disregarded and instead new life is present, new life is there. Um, We see this recorded in Ezekiel 36 when Ezekiel uh, records what God says. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put that I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This is kind of a repeat of what he said in chapter 11, but again, kind of shows the importance of that circumcision and the type of circumcision that Jesus would do without 
human hands. You know, Paul is sharing what Christ has done because you have union with him and a newness of life through this circumcision. You know, when you look at this passage, when you look at this section, it's so rich in what Christ has done for us. You know, when you think about what you reflect on during the week, I think that this section is one that we can just sit and pray through to understand more of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Because Paul lays it out very clearly with very precise language. You know, as he talks about circumcision, he's also talking about baptism that they've received. Paul teaches similar things in Romans, chapter six, verses three and four. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You know, baptism, it's this, this public announcement of the outward sign of the inward change. That's how it's described often. But with baptism, with water, there's so much more symbolism that we might miss being in this context. You see, with water, a lot of times in the Bible, it's described as the deep. Um, and the deep, people were fearful of. You know, I don't know how much you love the ocean, but you know, do you ever get that thought that you're waiting out there and there are just some massive creatures out in the ocean that you don't really see or feel until it bumps you and you're like, okay, I'm done, I'm gonna get out now. I don't know what that was. The deep was something fearful to, the, to this time period and it symbolized death in a lot of ways. So when you are under the water, it symbolizes that you are dying to the old self, that you are buried for a time. You know, that's why I tend to hold people down until I see the bubbles. That way they really get that feeling. Joking, of course. But when you come up out of the water, you are raised unto new life. It's something symbolic. There's nothing magical about the waters, but it's reminiscent about what Christ has done for us. The belief that he was raised from the dead. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins and your faith is futile. We have to understand exactly what Christ has done for us. And again, this passage lays this out in a beautiful way. In verses 13 and 14, we, we see and we trust that Jesus makes us whole because he forgives our sins. Paul speaks about what they once were, contrasting the circumcision with the uncircumcised. That by their nature, by their practice of what they used to be, they were dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. Now notice he uses the same language when he talks about how their trespasses are forgiven. See, he has couplets throughout this entire section that go together. Different connections within these verses of being buried, being dead, and then Christ being raised, and we are raised with him. We are forgiven and the record is canceled. All of these pairings show this consistency. They show the movement from death unto life. What we have in Christ in terms of that fullness, in terms of that completeness. Now the Greek word for cancel here, it suggests more of a, a smearing of letters across a wax paper. So it's like if we have this certificate of death in our hand, or a certificate, certificate of debt in our hands, or maybe like hanging around our necks or something like that. And it would show what, we're, what we owed. It would show our sins, that we, something that uh, makes us guilty. It shows what we ha owe back to the person. Now what we owe back for our sins is our life. For the wages of sin is death. 
God gave us breath. We use that breath to curse God. We owe him his breath back. But Christ came and he erases this certificate of debt. He removes it from our books and it's nailed to the cross. It died when he died once and for all. One commentator puts it this way. He says, Christ was so nailed to the cross and in him the law was nailed to, the, to it as well. Christ, when he was nailed up, died, so did the law. Christ rose again, but not the law. Christ rose because his death killed the law forever. And if the law had not died in the blood of the cross, Christ would not have arisen. Since the law is dead and gone, spiritual quickening and resurrection are now ours. You know, within these two verses, with all this talk about forgiveness, with this talk about being dead in our trespasses, so forth and so on, what might get overlooked is that beautiful phrase where it says that God made alive together with him. See, this connects to the prior verses, speaking about baptism. But very pointedly, he's speaking to those who are in him. As Paul says, you, you who were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. As a believer, there's a newness in your life where you have the Holy Spirit. You have vitality in your bones. You have been made complete. You have been made whole by Christ because he gives you life and he gives it abundantly. You don't have to be down. You don't have to be kicked around. I mean, we can choose to be a gloomy Gus or a Debbie Downer, but you've been given life. And there's a richness to that. There is a vibrance to that because you're full of him, because it's in him. And it is a glorious thing where your sins have been forgiven and they have been nailed to the cross forever. But the nailing of the cross, or nailing of them to the cross, is just one part of the saving work of Christ. Because, again, if he did not rise from the dead, then none of that would have mattered. Through the rising from the dead, Jesus defeated his enemies. And in verse 15 it says, he has disarmed them. He puts them to open shame. He triumphs over them. So let's explain that a little bit further, continuing that analogy from before. When you have a large debt that has come due, sometimes to make a payment, you might write a check. You've made the payment, right? But what happens if that check bounces? What happens if that check doesn't clear? Well, you're punished. With Jesus' death on the cross, the atoning price is his blood. So he writes a check in his own blood to pay for the sins of the world. And when the resurrection happened, it's like that check is accepted. That payment is accepted. Your debt is free and clear. It's gone. And in a minimal way, we can maybe relate to that a little bit when we think about if we pay off a school loan or a car loan or a mortgage. That feeling of relief, last payment, all right. Whew. You know, again, very minimal when you compare to life and death situations. But since the debt is now paid, your life is his. The enemy no longer has a hold over you. Like Brett said last week in our communion message, you were slaves to sin, but now you are slaves to righteousness. Now, this doesn't mean we can't give power back to the enemy. It doesn't mean that we can't still sin. We're still going to sin. We're still going to struggle because we're in the process of being uh, saved, so we're being sanctified. We are being made into his image. But we have to understand that the enemy does not have a hold over us because we've been bought with the price and we have a new master, a new Lord. And Jesus makes us complete 
in him. He openly shames the enemy, the devil, our adversary. He is victorious over, over him, and we live victoriously through what Jesus has done. Now, this living victoriously, it's not like when your favorite team wins the game, and as a fan, you go and you punch your finger in the other team, like, ha ha, we got you, we're so great, we're so awesome. You did nothing as a fan. The entire work was done by Christ. He is the one that gained the victory. We're not to be fearful of the enemy, but we are to be acknowledging that he is still like a roaring lion, prowling around looking to whom he may devour. So we are on guard for those empty, deceitful philosophies and teachings. Our hope is in his victory to where he gets the glory. And that's where our minds and our hearts need to be resonating. So today, I want us to see how Christ is the fullness of God and for us and how he makes us whole. When we look at verse 10, and it says that you have been filled in him as you have received Jesus, our prior verses, you are filled in him. He has filled you whole. He makes you complete. Now, why does that matter to us? That matters because there are so many distractions in this world. There are so many shiny things that we like to idolize. There are so many other things that we like to build up and have that take the place of Christ in our lives. We experience loss. We experience grief. We experience these voids in our hearts and minds, and we want to fill those things with other stuff. And many times, people will turn to self-medicating ways. They'll turn to alcohol. They'll turn to other things. They'll turn to drugs, and they'll, they'll try to numb the pain that they feel instead of turning to the one who comforts in Christ. The Bible speaks the truth very plainly that we are complete in him, that Jesus is more than enough in all of the different ways that we might be looking for completion, for purpose, for, for things to fill our lives to make it matter. Christ is more than sufficient in those areas. So we shouldn't be looking to those other things. We shouldn't be looking to ourselves to accomplish these things in our own strength, but rather only to Christ. Understanding that by receiving the free gift of grace, by receiving the Christ, Jesus, the Lord, that he restores us to the Father, and that we're made whole, looking forward to the glory of his return. There's gonna be philosophies, there's gonna be empty deceit, I think, until the second coming, until the end of this age. We need to be ready and we need to be on guard against those things. One of the best ways to do so is to live how we are supposed to. As you have received him, so walk in him because you are filled with him. He is the one that makes us complete and whole, not the empty things of this world. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to dive into your truths, I just pray that you would continue to help us to apply this to our own lives, especially as we're walking through trials and hardships. Um, Lord, as we're walking through those things where we can feel anxious, where we can feel, fear, feel fearful, Lord, that you would help us to rest in you above all things. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us of those areas where we are turning to other things, that we can repent of those things and turn back to you in strong ways. Lord, I, I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your grace. 
Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, the price that had to be paid because of the debt that I owe. And Lord, because of the grace that you have given me, may, may I be used to take your gospel message to the ends of the earth in whatever context that looks like. Lord, I pray that we can all be your hands and feet to advance your kingdom forward so that you would get the honor, that you would get the glory, that your name would be magnified. Thank you, Father, for filling us with your spirit. Thank you, Father, for continuing to, to instruct us. Help us to continue to build each other up, to encourage one another, to follow hard after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.